And we're on the air. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. Welcome to Soundbrokers Mastermind uh, Roundtable. Uh, this is the concept of the roundtable is very simple, and that is to help each other, support each other, so that during this tough time when we come through it, we're all still here. You know, a lot of people, uh, a lot of people are, are in different positions than we are and I look at myself right now as like on the Starship Enterprise and we're we're going through space going boldly where no man has gone before and as we go to these new planets to explore it I just don't want to be the one in the red shirt when I hit the planet that's what I can say so for those people who don't know Star Trek just watch any episode you'll see what happens the guys in the red shirts they're only there for one episode. Anyway, today we have some very special guests, um, and uh, not in any particular order, but I'd like, to, uh, I'd like to thank Joe Lamont from NAM, the National Association of Music Merchandisers, for coming in. Um, one of our most beneficial organizations uh, lobbying for our, our best interest uh, was able to get one point gazillion billion dollars for music education because music cares and Joe Lamond is in the room and I would like to uh, I'd like to say thanks for coming and for sharing with us today uh, another great person in the room uh, is we have Michael Strickland and Michael Strickland has been giving us uh, updates of what's going on with Congress and uh, without it I don't know where I would be because some of the information you're giving us not only on the uh, lobbying effort, but what's going on with the virus as well, and that's pretty impressive. So basically what happens is that people are very interested in this. So I want to thank you, and thank you for what you're doing, and in behalf of everybody, I just want to let you know we all appreciate your efforts. So without any further ado, why don't we turn the meeting over to Joe Lamond, and uh, then we'll, we'll, we'll play it by ear. Well, I mean, thank you for uh, inviting me on to this. I mean, you know, talk about silver linings uh, for all. Inviting me on to this. I mean, you know, talk about silver linings. Who's uh, got their mic out? So the idea of being able to share all this stuff with you guys is um, is kind of a, a, a gift for us, too. You know, many of you probably don't even know what NAM is or, or how how we end up being connected with, with Terry and Michael and, and David, big part of all of this. But NAM was founded in 1901. We're a bunch of piano dealers. Piano dealers who got together, 52 piano dealers got together in New York City in 1901 to try and improve conditions in the industry. Because what was happening is the big brands like Steinway, pianos were made all over the country individually in small shops. And the store would be in the front. And a customer would come in and they'd say, I want a piano. What kind do you want? I like one of them Steinways. So I would go in the back and say, we need a Steinway and they would stencil Steinway on the front of the piano, and then you had a Steinway. Now, of course, Steinway didn't like that because they were trying to sell, make these pianos in New York and in Hamburg. And so 52 piano dealers actually tried to get together to improve conditions in the industry, and that's how NAM was founded and ultimately turned into everything that it is today, representing music, people who make musical instruments, people who sell musical instruments, and an ever-expanding world of people who are involved in the trade from a kid's first instrument to the gear and the people used in the largest festivals uh, and, and you know, stadiums around the world. So that's a very nutshell group of, of NAM. We have about 10,000 companies who belong to NAM in 102 countries around the world. Um, and so that is this little organization here in Carlsbad where David is sitting out in the sunshine right now. Uh, 
We ended up in Carlsbad from Chicago, where my predecessor had taken over in 1981 uh, because he liked to play golf, and Carlsbad was a better place for that. Uh, I went to work for NAMM in 1997. I'd been a member as a music retailer uh, since probably 80. My first NAMM show was 83, 1983, uh, and then 97 became a staffer, and in 2001 became CEO when my predecessor retired. So my biggest regret related to this whole COVID experience is that I didn't retire last year. So now that we've got regrets out of the way, we're left with trying to solve all this uh, as, a, as, a, as a group, all of us working together trying to solve it. Terry came into our world, David came into our world because we wanted to expand NAMM's um, influence with, with, this, with this segment of the industry, live event, touring, we thought it was a really natural fit for all of us. And probably four or five years ago, Terry, and probably four, five or six ago, David, we started talking about bringing AES into the NAMM show from an educational standpoint, bringing Terry's influence with the magazines and of course the Parnellis into the NAMM show so that we could actually have that, all those, we call it the crossroads. We wanted to be the crossroads where all the intersection of the industry trade came together. And that's how we all became part of what the NAMM show is today. The lobbying part, which we started talking about just at the beginning of this call, NAM has been lobbying for music education for decades. It has been the voice for supporting music and arts in the schools. Um, it's, a, it's an experience we all learned along the way. I remember my first trip to Washington with our lobbyists when I took over the lobbying. That was my first job. Um, I, uh, I, I actually leveled with them and I said, about what I know in DC was learned from Schoolhouse Rock, I'm just a bill on Capitol Hill. So let's start with that. And that's how I, how I became a lobbyist in a way, learning how things worked in DC uh, and, and how do you influence policy? Why did we wanna to go to Washington and influence music education policy as opposed to kind of raising money to save the music or these other charitable type things? Because that's where the money is. Education in the US is a $650 billion a year industry. You can raise money, you can do bake sales, you can do all kinds of fundraising. If you're not at that trough every year of that $650 billion into education, you're not in the game. And that's why we perfected our lobbying game, to know that we could influence language and funding that's coming out of the federal government. And that has resulted in some of the strongest music programs in the world. It's the envy of all the other countries that we work in. Uh, it's never a fixed um, task. We're there every year. Every time a new bill is, is imagined, we're there trying to influence it. Um, and it is evergreen. Lobbying is showing up. Lobbying is being there day in and day out, year after year, to make sure your voice is heard. That's what this part of the industry had not done, as far as I can tell that the, the influence of this part of the industry was um, much more individual and not unified as one voice. And so COVID gave us that opportunity um, and we had the engine already built in DC. We had the lobbyists already on retainer and we were able to just move them over into squarely helping our members and, and our friends, all of you, try and find their way through the federal aid that was coming down from the pandemic. And that's the work we did together basically since March. Um, it was, and if you go to the NAM website, nam.org, 
under issues and advocacy, there's a series of activities basically starting late March, early April. And it's interesting to see how all this evolved, right? You know, here we are sitting on the 12th of August. How much more do we know now than we did back then? This was evolving as in, in, daily, in daily news briefs from Washington. If we get this last relief bill through, it'll be the fifth round of aid coming out of the federal government since early April. Um, and so this is an absolute, and Michael's right, you have to be on this. I don't know how many calls Michael is on a day to try and stay on with this. That's what this is like. And so to have a staff and a lobbying team in DC on this is the luxury that we were able to have and move over to this for music education. Um, part of it was being involved with much larger groups than ourselves, all trying to do the same thing fighting for relief for the restaurant industry. Anything related to where people gathered in two or more obviously has been, has been destroyed. I was just on a, a Zoom call with Clark Hunt, owner of the Kansas City Chiefs. NFL is trying to figure this out. No one has this down yet, even today. Here we sit on the 12th. But the idea of helping our members identify where they could get aid and then literally teaching and hold, holding them hands holding their hands through the process of applying for PPP, and in some cases, the unemployment or ADIL loans, got a team of, of membership staff that that's what they've been doing since April. Because our members are good at certain things, but they weren't really good at filling out government forms or bank, bank applications. So that was the thing we felt we could do the most for our members, help them get the aid they needed when they needed it to at least get through this next phase when stores we thought could open. Or you know, venues could get back to work and then the whole trade could get back to work. So I think that helped a lot of our members get to this point. Many of them are, are really at the end of the ropes and if we don't get the second round of PPP, then that could really cause some huge disruption in our industry. And the next big thing we're facing, which is unrelated to this group in a way, but related is school openings. If schools don't reopen this fall in person, there goes your school music programs. There goes the marching band, there goes the choir, there goes all the orchestras and things that, you know, are part and parcel to growing that starts in the fourth grade, our whole next generation of players, industry people, and music lovers. So uh, that's a, a really important part of our work right now is what's school gonna look like? How do you safely assemble kids again back into a school environment while playing instruments that are definitely not good for aerosol spread? Uh, one of the things we fund a lot is research, and uh, we're almost ready to release the uh, findings of a research project that will study that has studied how aerosols spread in a band room. Uh, come to find out, singing obviously not good, trumpets really not good, clarinets not so bad. Who knew that clarinets are actually the least offenders for spreading aerosols in a group setting? If there's any clarinet players out there, now's a good time. Um, but that's some of the things we're really trying to get our members. But back to why we're doing the DC work. You can do grants, you can do little fundraisings again, unless you're in the trough where there's billions of dollars, not millions, then we haven't done our job, I think, as an association. So for this group, I'm not, I'm not sure how we can be most helpful. Michael, you probably articulated more clearly because you know the those of those, those of you that are independent contractors, those of you that are S corps, each one has a slightly different approach to this. Um, 
I would love to, to donate my team to help any of you individually how to see how you could get into, you know, from get some relief from this, from the financial uh, packages that have been out there. Again, sometimes it's one-on-one -on -one with one of our staff to say, here's my situation, and we're almost like a, a coach. How can we help you through that? I volunteer that to any one of you uh, right now, just because I think it's the right thing to do for all of us to get through this. Um, so, you know, a little bit of, of top line, that's, you know, literally the, I'm reading something from teams right now that Mary Lewison, who Michael has gotten to know quite well, on the latest of today on the unemployment arriving at some, I guess, at $300 now, as of earlier today, uh, the federal kick in. So uh, it is still a moving target as to what this last relief bill might be. But as Michael said, and I listened last week to this podcast, that there will be nothing else until the election. So what we get now is it until November. I know I've kind of wandered around on different topics, little different subjects of how we've approached this. Um, perhaps some questions might, might help zero in on where this group's particular interest is. And, and if I don't know the answers, I will try and find the answers for you. But, you know, I just, I, I think I sum it up. My vision for NAM had been the place where the entire trade can gather in our NAM show um, in January. As I said earlier on the call that I've just, had to face the inevitable and announced on Monday that we won't have the NAM show in a physical gathering. And that represents an 80% drop in revenue for us for fiscal 22, which starts in October. So I've got to try and figure out how to close that big of a gap. And the way we close it partially is luckily we've been pretty frugal these years and we put aside a lot of reserves. So I've got some glide path to get through this next year from our fiscal reserves um, so that we can continue to serve, continue to lobby, continue to do the work we're trying to do and retain all our staff. So far, I have been able to retain our, our whole staff, 70 people. So that's a start anyway. So let's go ahead and answer any questions you may have and see if I can learn from how we can be more. So I, Joe, let, let me add one thing. Joe's being far too uh, uh, humble because in that story that, that Joe told, uh, the, the next mission is to get as many people in the live event business as possible to join them. It costs like $225. Right now, we've only got a smattering of, of, of the people from live events that have actually come on board and joined. So, you know, we've given less than one-tenth of one percent, but I will say, Joe, thank you very much. Uh, Nam, you know, Joe, this started with Joe calling me, what, a month ago, five weeks ago, saying, I'm here, let's get together. Let's, you know, the word I use is let's get married, and we did. And Joe has thrown, as I've told you, the full weight of NAM. Uh, Mary and I and Chris Cushing, the lobbyist in D.C., communicate all day, every day, and all night up till midnight. And NAM's paying the bill. And it's benefiting. Is it benefiting NAM? Yes, it is. But it's also benefiting the entire uh, live event industry. And for that, i got to say thank you. And it would be remiss if I didn't give credit to Terry Lowe and his team for, for uh for introducing everybody to everybody. So thank you, Terry, and, and your great staff for having the, the idea to, to become part of NAM. And with that, I'll shut up, Joe, and let you take questions. Yeah, and I'll just, I'll just echo that real quick, and I'm sorry to interrupt the question, but you know, I look at this in many ways. I mean, first of all, I, I was a drummer, so forgive me for all the things that that might entail. Um, I've been a sound installer. I was a production manager for Todd Rundgren. I worked in music retail. Every time I think about the NAMM show floor, I think about 
some young Joe Lamont who has done all, or young Stephanie Lamont, my daughter, who's trying to be a sound engineer herself and a songwriter. That's who we all are. We're absolutely connected. We're connected by our love of music and our involvement in this whole trade. Um, so I don't, I just look at it as us. And then I also look at it as how can we serve? If we serve, then this industry will continue to grow. And if it continues to grow, the NAM will continue to grow. You know, I don't have any other uh, motive than that as to how can this organization be of service um, to an ever growing body? Because I know if we do that right, then, then ultimately NAM will continue to grow and, and thrive in, in a way that it has, um, that is as it has for 120 years. Uh, but I'll tell you, this is the toughest thing we've ever faced. I mean, you know, canceling the NAM show has not been done since 1944 in the last year, the last two years of, the, of World War II. And the only reason we canceled it because all the manufacturers of instruments were, they ceased making instruments and were forced by the government to make airplane wings or everything else related to the war effort. So I have the <laughs> unfortunate distinction of being the first person to have canceled the NAM show since 1944. So this is a shit show for all of us. And I, and, I, and I don't know how to get through it, as I said earlier, but I know together we will get through it and we will get through it stronger and come out of this on the other side. So the silver lining is I've been invited on a call like this to talk about my vision of how the industry overall can work together to be stronger. So that's my hope. Well, I really appreciate that because you, 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 you know, and agree with you completely on what you're saying because as I said in the beginning this is a mastermind group and if we all put our heads together we're smart guys you know some of us are smart most much of you are smarter than I am but the reality is if we put our heads together we have to come up with something that's going to survive uh, you know let us survive during this time now I know there's a lot of questions in the room Joe I know you told me that you only had a limited amount of time how much time do you have left with us or should we Michael I technically have a hard stop in five minutes, but I could go maybe another five after that, depending on how. Well, then, Michael, if it's okay with you, let's have, let's let, I know there's a lot of people that have some questions uh, for Joe. And of course, we all want to see what NAM is doing to help us survive and get through this tough time. So um, by just raise your hand, then I will see who you are, and then I will call on you. Uh, Muffy, um, Muffy, introduce yourself, and then uh, knock yourself out. Unmute yourself, though. Remember, guys, you got to unmute yourself because unless you want to hold up pieces of paper like this, we, we can't hear you. All right, so unmute yourself, and uh, there we go. Okay. Hi, I'm Muffy Alejandro. I own Janel Cases. We haven't been to NAM in a lot of years except as visitors. Um, so, Joe, I think one of the problems you face is that a great many of the Vendors who are related to touring are very, very tiny companies. Bandit is huge compared to Janelle. We have, I think, 29 employees. And um, pivoting, I think pivoting is what's going to save a lot of companies. That's what we're in the midst of. Um, so I think that one of the things that NAM could do is uh, offer, in lieu of a face-to-face -face meeting, um, a spotlight on products for companies that are still working. We've been working through the entire pandemic and now we are facing zero sales. And that is something that I've seen other other organizations do in lieu of their annual meetings. So that's something you as NAM could consider that might uh, introduce companies to each other who have something that they want to exchange with potential dealers. So that's just an immediate thought. The other, the other thought that I have is that 
Um, if you want to attract touring people, you know, touring people are very, very different than music merchandisers. Um, they, even those of us that own companies, we're kind of renegades, you know, we're not, we don't play well with others when we are told to do that. And that is a huge problem that you face. I am particularly sensitive to it because I ran an organization called the California Manufacturing Technology Center. I was the chairman of the board of directors when the entire uh, original uh, staff kind of fell apart and I had to put it back together. And so I was involved in Washington, DC. Um, I kind of know what I'm talking about and I know what you're facing as a lobbyist, although I've never done it myself, I've sent people to do it. So I think that um, that's a much longer conversation than at this round table, but how, how to get them, Jan is experiencing that, he can't get them to come to this round table and give input. And I, I hesitate to say this, but it's, it's a one-on-one. -on -one. It's, it's getting people to reach out as a result of this meeting and saying, listen, if you want things to be different, if you want money, um, then you need to you need to s stretch out a little bit here, and I think Jan is experiencing that. Just trying to get them to talk to you. Great point, and I, I feel for what you're going through. You know, just especially as a as a such a well regarded company as you guys to be faced like this now. It's just not, it was never in anyone's business plan, I'm sure. There is no uh, business the, plan for something like this. Yeah. So the point about the renegade part, I totally get that. And I think that's part of why Terry and, and, and David shared with us how we got involved together, which was we thought if we can provide, I mean, the whole industry professionalism, we just thought this, you know, we're going kicking and screaming out of the, you know, the earlier time when we all got to be cowboys. This industry is becoming way more professional. It's got a lot more responsibility for safety. Um, we've got to come into the, the modern world as far as, um, equality and 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 how we approach our our recruitment and retention of great employees and great people, um, and so the education. So ESTA coming in was to provide great education, especially on the safety side. AES was to bring in more of the students and, and definitely educator on the engineer and the studio side. Um, Terry created some great education uh, from his side in the course of Parnelli's, bringing in the best of the best, mixing with some of the younger people. We thought would be kind of the mentoring opportunities, but really all about education that was the world that was the, the word we kept stressing that if we can provide industry education to increase the professionalism of this in the status of the whole live event industry that we thought we could actually have find some way to earn that business even though they're they're renegades and didn't want to come into anaheim when the circus was in town so yeah that was that was our angle education that everyone wanted to be more professional and grow in their career I don't think education is the word you need to use with them. I think that the, the thing I've tried to put through to them is that they need a professional association. And they translate that into the word union. But I think that NAM is a perfect example of what a professional association is and can do for them. And maybe that is a subject that should be delved into maybe with you and um, not, you know, they're used to awards dinners like Terry gives them and then they go away and they go back to their life and I think that um, 
maybe maybe the maybe that is a, an avenue that need, really needs to be pursued because the only other way they can relate to that is health insurance and you know that's a problematic because they live all over the world so there's a, a lot there's a lot there um but i think that oddly enough i think the pandemic might be exactly the opportunity that nam is looking for and that they are looking for to bring them all together you are certainly a force to be dealt with and obviously I'm interested because I've got some new product that I'd like you to <laughs> put out there <laughs> and get to all those dealers with a little help from Transaudio Group. So uh, a friend, somebody I'm sure Terry Lowe knows. So anyway, that's my piece. Question. I know Michael Eddy had something that I was speaking to Michael earlier and he had something that he wanted to ask you. Michael, are you, do you have that prepared? Uh, I don't have anything to ask Joe than to say thank you for all the efforts they're doing. But I don't have a question. Okay. Uh, Jeff Powers uh, from Geekazine, he, he had a question for you. Jeff? Hey, Joe. Thanks a lot for coming on. Uh, I've been to NAM. I, I cover it as press every year, so I, I, I love the whole idea of, of NAM. Um, let's, let's address the big elephant in the room. What, do you, are you guys working on a plan to take NAM into the virtual space for the next 365 days? Yeah, so that's what we announced on Monday morning, that we're not going to do the physical show, but we're going to do a Believe in Music week. A lot of information on our website about that, but basically we looked at it in three, three buckets, if you will. First one is a marketplace, because there are still a lot of NAM member companies, actually, believe it or not, who are doing quite well. <laughs> if you're Zoom, and you're selling products that are used in the podcasting and, and, and home recording, you, your problem is you can't fill the orders fast enough. If you're in the acoustic guitar business or any guitar business for that matter, Gibson, Fender, Taylor Martin, you can't build guitars fast enough. So there's a lot of new product launch. So the marketplace is the first part of what we're building. And that'll be, I can't call it a, a kind of like a virtual NAM show because it's going to be so different than the experience. You know, it's like walking into that hall. We can't, we can't duplicate that online. Second part is, you know, whether we call it a school or education or training, but that whole idea of providing valuable education for everyone from dealers to the, you know, using Jim Digby and, and ESA to have some sessions there, Terry, AES, provide education. And the third place is, is actually going to be called Believe in Music TV. We're going to have two days of live programming, um, interviews, um, some product launches, uh, artists, and then a Yamaha is going to produce a two-hour concert as a finale that's going to raise money for the musical charities and things like True Nation. Um, so those, that's the third bucket, Believe in Music TV. So the week that our show would have been in January, we have a week-long virtual Believe in Music week. I'm still trying to struggle with what to call it. How we take that throughout the fall, how we keep the marketplace open beyond the show into February and into the spring, I think there's a lot of possibilities that we haven't thought through all the way. Like a lot of us, we're, we're sort, of, sort of figuring it out as we go. But the key point is we made, there is no virtual, there's no physical NAMM show in January, but there is a virtual Believe in Music week that same week. So, um, you know, she, you probably work with Shalise and, and she would probably be able to give you more uh, timelines about when things will be announced. But um, yeah, that's, that's, that's what we're working on right now. How do we make that work? How do we set goals for it? How do I set some kind of budget around it? And then allocate resources to it. So, okay, thank you. We're, that's where we're a hundred twenty year old startup. Never done it before. <laughs> well, thanks. I appreciate that. I have a question for you. 
is there anything specific that NAM has available right now to these people in the room if they need any support? What kind of specific support can we go to NAM for, i.e., getting money, getting grants, uh, doing any uh, a link to be able to any anything at all you could think of that these people in this room right now could when they leave this meeting and all the other people that are watching this, if they could say. I'm going to NAM right now because NAM is going to be able to get me to this point. Is there anything yeah. like that available Let's right now? I can go to my screen real quick here. Um, not sure if I can screen here. Let's try this here. I'll try and walk you through the, the um, let's see here. I'm not sure if I can get to my desktop. Uh, let's just, I'll say if you can go to the NAM website, first and foremost. Okay. Under issues and advocacy, there are right off the bat, the latest on the relief bill that's being negotiated now. If you scroll through, there are several pages that are updates from there. Below that are webinars on literally how to tap into the funds. So you can start taking a look at those and, and those go all the way back to April as we were building this out. So if you look at that area of, of issues and advocacy, look through that and then email me on the particular issue that you would like to know more about. And I will have one of my team call you individually and walk you through where, if possible, depending on what your, you know, your business particular situation is, if there's some relief for you there. But I will offer that up, that one-on-one, -on -one, one of my team, if you email me, I will connect to you. Um, but that may be a good start. If you go through the issues and advocacy under you know, the COVID work we're doing, Spend 10 minutes on that and zero in on the part that you think most relates to your situation. And then email me, joel at nam.org, joel, so first name, first initial, last name, at nam.org. And I'll connect you with one of our staffers who will walk you through it. Well, thank you very much. Your email address? Joel, Joel, yeah. nam.org. Okay, so we have time for one more question for Joe before we turn it over to Michael, because Michael has got some new information that he wants to share with us. So is there anybody in the room? Just put up your hand and, okay, Greg Snyder from Thunder Audio. Greg, unmute your mic. Uh, and you call yourself an audio guy. Come on, let's go. There you go. There it goes. Uh, Joe, Greg Snyder, Thunder Audio. Um, I'm, uh, I, I got, brought in uh, a few weeks ago i'm i'm amazed at the information that michael and jan and everybody has been able to provide it gets me excited um what what the thing that i'm trying to work on in the in, in our company is retaining all of our subcontractors and our employees so that when we finally get back um we can uh we can do those shows because there's just going to be hundreds of them and thousands of them um, and, and the question becomes, can NAM create a link to encourage the extra 11 million crew guys that are out there that are not members to join in order to then create um, some sort of uh, live events that, that can just focus on us getting them together. We, we have nothing to go to our artist and indicate that we can help each other mm -hmm. um and that power may also help our government understand by the way you forgot about all of us 
you know, on March whatever, 17 semis came back and I haven't done a show since other than little piddly stuff. So that's our question is, is how can we use NAM uh, as an engine um, more than just for Congress? You know, again, we're using their money, we're using our governmental money, but, but we probably need to figure out how to get our industry back. How can NAM help us do that through getting our crews back to work, through getting all of those musicians that, uh, that are working in the bands that their boss, whether it's a Post Malone or Garth Brooks or whatever says, hold on guys, we're not ready to go yet. We need to create that, that energy to get them to push the Live Nations uh, to, you know, again, I'm talking about a really big thing here, but yeah. you're a really big help uh, for that size. So if you could go from 250,000 members to 1.6 million members, again, how do we do that? I, I, I'm asking yeah. a big question. Man, that might be over the head of this drummer, um, but I'd love to talk to you more about it. I mean, look, highlighting, NAM is a small company, first and foremost. I mean, we're smaller than most of you probably as a company. <clears throat> we have 10,000 companies that belong to NAM, not individuals. We have actually very few individuals that belong, and that's something we have to work through. How do we join more individuals? Because as a trade group, we, you know, members belong um, that are companies. that are. That's how we're set up. I don't know the answer to that question. It's in other words, and, and, and what would be the end zone of that group? The end zone would be to be ready when things open, when they open safely, how to bring crews back safely, what is going to be things like testing protocol. That's all. I'd be curious to see how maybe you should, I should talk offline. What are the biggest needs and what priority so that we could approach them from that way? And then how do we get there? Um, I'm not quite sure. Just off the bat, I don't know. I had the answer to some of those larger questions, but you know, again, to me, it's always about what's the end zone? What are the priorities? Do we have the resources to try and get there? Um, yeah, I, I'd love to have 200,000 members. I don't know what I'd do with them all. I have enough trouble with 10,000, but yeah, I'd love to love to pursue that. And just so maybe drop me a line and we'll connect. I will reach out to you. I've got an idea for you. I, I, I hate to throw it out like this, but I, I, you know, if you want people to join, I have an idea. Uh -huh. Why don't we give them a secret code that they could get a slight discount if they like act like right now? Or like by the, what do you think? Is there any on we for this? I hate what? to say this, but it never worked at TourLink. Yeah. yeah, no, I'd like to earn it. You know, I'd like to keep working for you guys. And, and at some point it just becomes inevitable that you're part of the family. <laughs> Well, I thank you very, very much for your time. Um, we really all appreciate it. I thought it was extremely informative, and I can't tell you how much I thank you for coming in and sharing your thoughts about NAM with us. Uh, so thanks very, very much. Uh, you got to realize how grateful I am, hey, for Terry, David, Michael. I mean, again, coming up, a lot of the people on this call were my heroes. I would read about you in Performance Magazine. How's that for going back, Terry? Uh, and, and, you know, coming up, these are the the fact that we actually get to work together and try and solve some big things together um, is our opportunity. And, and as you said earlier, this is the time to solve big things. As I said once, that on a nice sunny afternoon when every tour is booked and our shows are full and everything's going along, that's not when you sit down and say, I think I'm going to take on some big things to solve. <laughs> when you solve them, at that point, you just say, keep that gravy train running. Well, it stopped running. And so now we get to say, it's time to solve some big things. And that's true about 
society and our country and our economics. But this is the time we get to solve some big things. Um, and while we all wish we might have retired last year, we didn't. And we're here and we got to solve some big things. So that's, I'll leave it with that. We get to solve some big things now. Well, thank you very, very much. I really <laughs> appreciate it. Thank you. All right, guys. Signing Thanks off. A lot. My next Zoom call. <laughs> Bye. Go bang a drum. See you later. <laughs> yes. Bye. Without any man who needs no introduction, but I'm going to introduce him anyway. Michael T. Strickland from Band of Lights, who's doing an, uh, an amazing job on our behalf, but not just the our behalf on uh, for this industry, but for everybody who's uh, who needs money in America. So, Michael, why don't you take it away? And thank you so much for coming in again. So, pay attention, thank everybody. Thank you, Jan. I want to go back and clean up a couple of questions that I heard. Uh, Muffy, you had said something about uh, getting the one-on-one -on -one communications and whatnot. Uh, part of what I'm doing is there, there are literally hundreds of those going on between politicians and people within our industry. The people at Delicate Productions uh, met with, uh, with, with their uh, legislators. The people at PRG met with Senator Gillibrand uh, yesterday. Uh, the, uh, Tim Young from his staff in, in Indiana met with people at Tyler Trust. Uh, and so on and so forth. There's all kinds of one-on-one -on -one personal touches that we have put together and created and organized. So there is a whole lot of touch going on. And uh, the other thing was, uh, I think Muffy, you and then a couple of other people had asked, what, what are we doing to, to become more engaged or involved in NAM? Uh, uh, a number of us have begun putting together an advisory council. We're not talking about that right now because the focus right now is to secure additional funding for our industry, but we're putting together an advisory council. We're gonna roll that out in probably two to three weeks. The advisory council will then deep dive in two areas. One area being with manufacturers, sound lights, lasers, buses, trucks, all of that. And the other being uh, with, within vendors uh, and hire companies and, and whatnot. So we're gonna urge uh, certainly the manufacturers and the vendors to, to join and become part of NAM, which to Joe's point, gives him more companies, but then as part of that, individuals as well. So that's already being crafted, and, and we're going to engage and involve everybody, uh, certainly in what I call my email chain, and everybody in all of these various entities in that same endeavor. So when the, when the money chase ends in a week or two or three, I'm going to spend the rest of this year building that, uh, Muffy, to your point. And we I realize- I think you misunderstood me, though. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Michael, but my point was not to talk to the vendors and the sound companies. My point was uh, a one-on-one -on -one to the crew themselves. Yeah, yeah. that's part of like it. David Dansky will agree with me that a lot of these things are data-driven and driven through the companies that people are employed by, but not directly to the crew themselves. And um, I think that it's kind of, it, and, and forgive me for saying this, but I think a lot of things are driven through through not directly to the people they are impacted, but through uh, organizations that they have contact with, and that that's how you that's a, a a point one step removed, and it doesn't always work out the way we would all like it to. So um, that that may that that may not res result that wasn't exactly what i had intended so i can't comment on what you guys are doing because i'm not privy to it but um that that was what i was trying to say 
to NAM, which is we need to reach a little further beyond the sound companies directly to the people they employ directly to, and let me just say one, go a little further, to even further out to the personal assistants, to the production assistants, to the caterers, to the wardrobe people, to the people. There are so many levels here who are never mentioned because they seem even a little further removed than lights, sound, and stage. And without them, without a bus driver, without a truck driver, there just isn't, it, it doesn't matter what the manufacturer of the bus does because there's nobody to move that bus when the tour goes out. And those are important people. I got to tell you, I started to write a, a book about the early creators of our industry, the people who actually said, hey, what if we, what if we put that up in the air, you know, and before when there were only genie towers. And I, I went to some of these people and said, you know, like, how did you come up with a 360 stage? What were the talking points, you know, and where did that come from? And I couldn't believe it. Well, one of the people I interviewed was the guy that drove the sound equipment to Max Yasger's farm. You know, good point, and you're correct. Okay. And, and again, unbeknownst to you, there are a lot of those organizations like Live Event Coalition extendpui.org. Uh, we, we have a lot of people-centric organizations within this group that I, that I work with every day because you're Good. right, Muffy, there are far more people than there are companies. And that is part of this focus is, is to reach out to the people and Good. go back to what Joe said. My, my, my mission, our mission going forward is, is hopefully get as many people, and I, and I mean people, to understand that we may never need NAM again. But if we do, and we're all banded together, it will work to our benefit. And, and back to what was said earlier, you know, NAM got $1.4 billion for music education two, three years ago. Uh, th that's a huge get, and, and, and they're a big name on the Hill and will be there to represent us. So we're gonna spend between now and probably February or March of next year, building this house, not only with companies and manufacturers, but also with the individuals. So that's a but great thank point, you. but thank it, you it is in the plan. Right. Oh, thank you for clarifying, because it's really, those are, the, those are the people that are my clients, and those are the people that I have worked with my entire career who I really care deeply about, and those are the people that are sending me emails going, I'm dying out here. And, and that's who I talk to every day's people. I talk to people, Good. not companies. Those are great questions for Michael, and Michael, I really want to focus you now on what you came in here to talk about, which is the what's going on in Congress, the lobbying efforts, and of course, what's happening with the, the vaccines. Yeah, the, uh, the lobbying, here's where it sits today. Today is Wednesday at uh, five o'clock, whatever time it is. Little's being done in Washington. The window ends uh, technically at five o'clock on Friday. There are 435 House members that are up for re-election. There are 35 senators that are up for re-election. Those people have a very big vested interest in getting a bill done by Friday. That's one of the big uh, levers right now to get this done. None of those 470 people want to go on a month break and have to face their constituents of, uh, in regards to re-election and say, hey, I didn't get a bill done. Uh, for those of you that got the email that went out earlier, uh, I made a little table of the, of, the, of the issues that are before us. And I've long said that money for states and liability will be the stumbling blocks, and they still are. Those are the two things that are causing what you see right now in the news about they just can't come together. Funding for childcare, funding for healthcare, funding for schools, the additional stimulus check, 
and funding for additional testing they've all agreed on. Things they've largely agreed on are the additional PPP, small business funding, enhanced unemployment insurance, eviction protection, and student loan deferment. Those things have got a little, little ways to go, but ultimately they're miles apart on states' money. Uh, one side's at 900 billion and the other side's at 150 billion. The liability indemnity, one side is at none and the other side is at some. So those things have got to be worked on. The biggest trigger that we face right now that, that works in our favor for a Friday settlement is this. Schools begin opening for the most part next week and the week after. Right now there's $105 billion that they've agreed to that's earmarked for schools to pay for PPP and plastic shields and that kind of thing. If they walk away Friday without a deal and this $105 billion isn't dispatched immediately to these schools, many of these schools have already ordered stuff and will have no way to pay for it. So the biggest lever we have is the school money. The second biggest lever is, is the re-election of 470 people. And I've spoken to a large number of, of political people in the last four days, and there is a huge political will by those 470 people, or most of them, to get this done. So the one thing I've shared with you before is, we don't know which funding mechanism is actually gonna be in this bill. Is it the, the HEALS bill? which contains basically another 10 weeks, which leaves us all way short, which in the Hills bill actually contains the Senate bill 4321 written by Marco Rubio, or is it the Restart Act, which will give everyone of us on this call 45% of last year's gross income. However much of that you use for payroll and payroll related items and rent and mortgage insurance and PPE and a couple of other things, you can write all that off. Uh, you can take as much or as little of that 45% as you choose to. And most of you, if you run the numbers, 45% of last year's income is way more than you need to get through the end of the year. As I suggested to you last week, don't think through December, although that's when theoretically the loan would be, uh, the, the term of the loan would be ending. You got to think through probably February or March, because although I think the business will be back in January, February, your level of income probably won't be restored till late March. So the reason we can't get a conversation, and believe me, I have talked to hundreds of people, including eight legislators, the reason we can't get a definition on which, which method is it going to be for small businesses, there's four people that know. That's Mark Meadows, Steve Mnuchin, Pelosi, and Schumer. Those are the four people that are negotiating every day. They're also negotiating away from the official negotiating. So there's a whole lot of back and forth and aides chatting to one another. Those are the four people that know. The senators don't know. They just know that that's the two most likely things in there. Uh, the, the Senate Bill 4321, which is in heels, is the one that currently only gives us 10 weeks. That's actually in the heels package. Restart kind of sits over here by itself. But again, the good news is, which I shared with you last week, the support for heels, uh, excuse me, for restart is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, right now, we've got 55 senators and 95 Congress people behind it. We're almost to the point, if they get 60 senators, that guarantees if it goes to a vote, a standard vote, it would pass. At this point, I don't think there'll be a standard vote. I think what will happen is that those four people will come to a, an agreement. They'll both turn to the House and the Senate, and they'll tell their members, we're going to pass this by unanimous consent. And the way that works is, the Senate says we're passing it by unanimous consent. It just takes one senator to raise his or her hand and go, object, to kill it. 
Uh, same thing in the House. Uh, if, if Pelosi says we're passing this by unanimous consent, it just takes one House member to go object, and it doesn't happen. I do believe at this point that any senator or any House member would be hard-pressed to be that person that stands up and kills this relief bill. What else do I believe? Uh, the, the one side's at over three trillion, the other side's at a trillion. I've spoken to both sides. Uh, the Republicans, I believe, are going to come up to 1.75. The Democrats have already offered to come down to two. So we're talking about $250 billion, theoretically. I think they'll work it out just from talking to the different people. And again, the, the big, 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 big issue is, is the state's money. Everything else is kind of worked out. So what are the three scenarios? The three scenarios are they get it worked out by Friday, two unanimous consent votes, it passes. Believe me, the president will sign it Friday night. He's, he's on top of it. The other possibility is they come to some sort of an agreement or don't. Then they, begin, they continue, those four people continue to work on it next week with, with both the House and the Senate out of session and gone. Again, they can still do the unanimous consent thing. So I can see it potentially happening next week. What's the third scenario? Both sides throw their hands up or one side and, and walk away and they start again in, in uh, September the 15th. I will weigh those from my conversations and from opinions of political people and leaders that I talk to. I give it a 50% chance they get it done by Friday. I give it a 25% chance they get it done next week and I give it a 25% chance that they walk away. Uh, the reason I don't think they can walk away is they've got to fund the schools. They've absolutely got to fund the schools. And, and I think that's the trigger. And then again, the reelection piece. Could they kick the, the state's money down the road? Sure they could. Could they kick everything else down the road? Sure they could. Are we part of the everything else, the small business relief that they could kick down the road? Sure it is. But the schools and the reelection are the two big triggers. And, and I, I think that's gonna force them to do something by next week, e even if they're out of session. And you have to jump over all the political rhetoric and all the, the political posturing. Uh, what do I think will happen in terms of our money? Every conversation that I have, every conversation is about restart. Not coming from me, but coming from the senators and the Congress people I talk to and coming from their staff. They all think it's that's the vehicle. And again, that gives you 45% of last year's income, which means you're going to be okay. Most of the people that 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 would get, would simply get double the PPP that you got before have told me and others that's nice and that helps, but but not holistically because I have bigger bills. So I think that's been muted. Now, what I call my Florida bunch, which is a whole bunch of industry people in Florida. I've got target groups. I've got a Florida bunch. I've got a New York bunch. I've got a California bunch. I've got a Chicago bunch. Uh, you know, I've got different people that are that are targeting their legislators in their area. The Florida bunch is by far the biggest because we're emailing, calling, and communicating regularly with Rubio and his staff. Why? All of this ultimately flows through the Small Business and Entrepreneurship Committee, which Rubio chairs. Oddly enough, Rubio was the author of 4321. And uh, you know, does he want his bill to pass? Probably. I do think he now knows that his bill doesn't do the, the, the doesn't do it justice. So we've got the Florida bunch.
putting pressure on them and we have sent them specific language. There are three sentences that need to be changed in 4321, which take us from 10 weeks to 20. So we've given them enough pressure that hopefully they're gonna change 4321 from 10 weeks to 20. So if, if by chance we get stuck with that version, at least we've got twice as much money. So holistically, we're, we're safeguarding the 4321 by pressure over there and we are pushing holistically for restart and it seems to be carrying the day and it's not just for us it's for restaurants and bowling alleys and and any kind of a small business and the last piece is and sean i'll shut up and let you ask the question then the last piece is the trigger on restart right now is that you've lost 50 percent of your income and that works for most of us. I think we could take that to 75% of your income and, and, and you could probably go with that. There's a big, big push to take it back to 20%. And the reason is the restaurant business because most of the food service people have lost around less than 20%. Why? Because they could do takeout and DoorDash and all that delivery stuff. If they take that back to 20%, uh, there won't be enough money for everybody at the trough. Right now, the CBO has not scored restart, but, but the people that wrote it, Young and Bennett, believe it takes 300 to 350 billion. There's 135 billion the CBO just announced. There's 300, excuse me, 135 billion officially available from the last PPP. So we only, well, let, let me continue. I don't think it's 300 and 350 billion. I think it's 230 billion and I've done my math and have my reasons. So that means we only need another 100 billion if I'm right at the 230. But if you take that percentage from 50 down to 20, it goes up to 700 billion needed. And all of a sudden there's not enough money to pay the small businesses. I don't know where that's gonna end up because again, the restaurant business and a couple of others are trying to push that trigger point back to 20 or 25%, which which brings a lot more of those people to the table. What I have told all the legislators, and I think you will all agree, we will all trade places with any business that's only had a 20% decrease in revenue. Don't mean that to be ugly, but the, the bill is written. If you read the first two pages, it's for industries that are shuttered or nearly shuttered. It's for people like us that have zero to 5% income. So I, I think it would be unwise to make the trigger be as low as a 20% reduction in revenue, because that's not a business that's shuttered or nearly shuttered. And, and that's the argument that we're making going forward is we've got to keep this narrow so that it fits in fits within a, a $230 billion trunch of money. And that tranche of money fits in with a, with a top line, which is what they call it in DC, a top line of 1.75 billion. We've got all the numbers, we've laid them out, we know who gets what, you know, we know that the schools get 105 billion, there's 16 billion for, for testing, uh, you know, and so on and so forth. 150 billion for cities, 230 billion for small business, and that gets us to the 175. And, and that's really what I think is gonna happen. Right now you're seeing a lot of political posturing, uh, and, and I do have hope, and if you got my last email, I talk about hope at the end of it, We've got to stick together. We've got to have a positive attitude. This is going to happen uh, because if for no other reason than the schools and the re-election. And with that, I'll shut up and say, yes, Sean, you had a question. I, hi, guys. Um, you may have answered a little bit of it. I, I might be one of the only uh, simply working music. I'm 35 years in the music business. 
on the performance side, um, I'm based in Las Vegas and I've been jokingly singing songs to drunk tourists for most of my career. Um, and that is, uh, well, Vegas is a ghost town. I'll just leave it at that. So I'm curious, my, my question that came up while you were going through all those numbers is, is qualifications. Do the, all of the out of work performers, entertainers, musicians, singers, songwriters, et cetera, et cetera, qualify for any of that relief? If you work for someone through a W-2, that's a great question. Uh, the right to reclaim PPP uh, rests with the person that gave you the W-2. If you're 1099, the right to, to, to claim money rests with you. So if you work for yourself uh, through a company that you own, or if you work 1099, yes, you can claim money through Restart. There was a bill put forth by Adam Schiff some months ago that just got nowhere, which would allow what they call the, uh, what do they call it? The multiple, the people that do some W-2 and, and some 1099, no one, including me, could figure out, let's say that you work for band A for three months, band B for three months, and band C for three months on a W-2. The right to reclaim your wage via W-2 rests with the payer, your band. No one, including me, can figure out how to shift that right from the band to you or from the venue to you because if you work for a venue sean the venue would have to be the one to claim the money and give it to you on w2 if you work for yourself on 1099 you're in luck uh, if you have a company in other words if it's if it's if it's seansinging.com uh, and that's how your money came in you can reclaim i hope that makes sense thank you michael terry lowe has a question for you Terry's frozen. Uh, no, no, I'm here. Uh, is there any one particular person or couple of people that you're dealing with that is the biggest roadblock to getting this thing passed? Is there particular people that we can hone in on with letters and calls and that sort of thing? That goes back, Terry, to what I said, these target groups that I've established. Yeah. Uh, right now, Obviously, I'm working, as you all know, through uh, Lamar Alexander and, uh, and Marsha Blackburn because they're friends of mine. Uh, also, a little bit through Trey Hollingsworth because I know him and some through Hal Rogers. Uh, but then the rest of it's targeted. I'm, I'm involved in the, in the push with uh, Rubio down in Florida, as are a great number of other people. I'm involved with uh, Senator Young and Senator Bennett, who wrote a Restart, trying to get that pushed forward. Uh, let me get my list here of who else I'm not so, many, so much in my head. Uh, Senator Duckworth, we're working with uh, Rubio. Senator Mendez, Senator Menendez up in New Jersey. Senator Gillibrand up in New York. Uh, and uh, then I've got direct touch to both Meadows and Mnuchin through through my contacts with my political friends. Uh, that's that's really it. And and. Those people are influencers. Everything that we have done collectively uh, is getting to them. And, and again, I, I don't know if I shared with this group last week or not, but but all of these different political leaders that, that and their staffs that I've talked to and, and a number of you have talked to, after we did the first, we, you know, we did two call to actions, the second one being the July 16th, what we call D-Day. Uh, it was three, four days after that that that, that I and, and Joe and, and Joe's staff got blown up with legislators 
and their staff, you know, going, stop, stop. We have gotten thousands, tens of thousands of emails. Stop. We've got the message. And, and Chris Cushing, the, the actual lobbyist, and I and Mary got a, got a giggle because, you know, that's their job. Their job is to field our communications. So <laughs> we collectively have done our job. And Terry, everything that you've done at all of your different publications has been phenomenal. You know, posting the calls to action and getting the word out there. And then, Muffy, back to what you said that, that, that you were unaware of. All these different groups. We've got the fair group and the fireworks group and, and the Broadway group and the movie group and the director's guild and the producer's guild and things that you guys and gals don't know anything about because they're, they're you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a hub and spoke and I'm kind of in the middle of the wagon wheel and then the things go out and, and the various people uh, do different things and, and, and it includes press, it includes mainstream press. So we, we have, you know, I have done a chart and, and when I hit send on my email within, within about five hours, it's to a million people. Uh, because each of the people that I send to has a group. Uh, Terry, I don't know how big your email list is, but, but uh, I won't say, but I, I know the number that I used. But, but everybody that I reach out to you know, has a group. Uh, there's 78,000 people now on uh, the Live Events Coalition. Uh, so Live Events Coalition goes to all of their people, which is people. And, and, and all of these people reach out to, to, to their uh, legislators. And again, when I engage with a new legislator or a new legislator's staff member, the first thing they say is, so you're the guy that blew up my cell phone. Because literally, it's, you know, we gave you their personal email addresses six, eight weeks ago, and people are sending to those. And, you know, they get their wife's or husband sends them email to that same thing. And they're not used to getting them to those direct addresses. So we have had a phenomenal, phenomenal impact uh, to your point, Terry. And uh, again, if I had time or if you all had the desire to hear the whole story, it would take me three hours to tell you about the reach that we've gotten all of this. Um, anybody have any other questions for Michael? Okay, Ken Porter, uh, make sure you unmute your mic. Very good, Ken. Hey, Michael, the question is on your, um, on the liability issue between the two, how is that worded? Is it just, just liability period? Or are they talking about how are they going to determine, you know, you know, fault? That's a great question. One side wants no liability protection. The other side has written right now, and I don't know if you all have seen it. I sent it out a while ago. It's, it's, it's a broad liability protection unless you can prove gross negligence. Well, that gross negligence is the hole that American Trial Lawyers Association will drive a truck through. And I've spoken to a number of entertainment lawyers, some, some are my friends, and they've all said for the big acts, for the really big acts, hell no, we're not going out because, you know, like Garth, you put 100,000 people in Las Vegas in that stadium, 20,000 of them will join a class action and Garth will be forced to settle a class action because the sheer weight of defending a 20,000 person class action would probably cost more than, than the payout to the trial lawyers. So I'm troubled and a lot of people are troubled by that. Now, having said that, what people like Disney are doing, as you know, is putting it on the back of the ticket, enter at your own risk. That's nice, but it doesn't stop uh, the trial lawyers from class action. And you may say, okay, why don't they go after Disney? Because a class action against Disney is, is you know, Disney's not that bothered by a class action because that's a multi-billion dollar concern. 
the, the biggest rock act is concerned because they're not a multi-billion dollar concern. It's an annoyance to them. So, you know, I, I don't know that they're going to get to a blanket indemnity, just you can't sue over COVID. I think they're going to end up with that absent gross negligence. And I think what you're going to see in that situation is your small and medium and large acts, they'll have to go out and do it because they've got to work. I think your Rolling Stones and your big and your U2s and your Eagles, they may never tour until that's changed. Why? Because they don't have to. They've got plenty of money. So why would they go out and take the chance? And that's kind of where I think the liability issue is going to probably end up and, and there there is there is a next step there may be a call to action tomorrow night or friday morning and here's what it would be if we believe tomorrow night or friday morning that they're going to walk away the next call to action will be very simply you can't do this as opposed to any other language it will be a very pointed but pleasant you cannot leave small business in this situation you must act and again, if, if we can in, in six to eight hours get the hundreds of thousands of emails that we now generate distributed to these legislators and their staff, uh, perhaps that will give them uh, another perspective. Has the Disney dis disclaimer been uh, challenged in court yet? Not that I'm aware of. That doesn't mean that it hasn't. But usually those things have to be, you know, they're not valid until they've been litigated several times. True. Here in Nevada, they just passed a law that basically protects if, if, if you've done it right. And of course, again, you could drive a truck through this, but if you've done it right, then you can't. You know, yeah. so, but we'll see what happens with that. We haven't seen many lawsuits on that. So, so, Michael, I have a question for you. And that is in your gut level feeling. I mean, not forget about everything else, the facts or whatever, just give me a gut level instinct. What do you, what is, if, if you were a betting man, what is your gut level instinct on, on what's going to happen next? Well, that, that Jan, that takes me into the virus. Again, I've told you all before I'm on the board at the hospital and get three calls a day. Talk about it. Yesterday, two more uh, companies uh, joined Pfizer and Moderna. Uh, and there are now going to be four solutions in October. Uh, uh, Moderna, excuse me, Pfizer has now moved their projected date to mid-October for actually having the vaccine out. So there are now four, four vaccines in, in phase three trials, 30,000 people trials, all have had 100% uh, uh, efficacy, efficiency uh, up to this point. And uh, sounds like all four of them are going to be out in October and available and they'll be giving people shots. As you know, the UK has already announced they're gonna be giving shots in October and Russia has already begun giving shots, but we won't go there because they didn't do a phase three. But uh, the UK has already announced an October uh, vaccine protocol already. So what do I believe, Jan? I think the vaccines will be given out in October. Uh, uh, I think that by November, December, you will see results. And I think we will begin going back to work in, in January, February. And I, I think we will be at a fairly brisk pace by the middle to the end of March. Uh, and all the data that I'm getting uh, about the vaccines is positive. Everything is positive. There have been no negative results. All four of them report the only uh, uh, side effects are a headache and potentially 
a mild headache and in a couple of cases, uh, a, a mild fever. And again, as I said before, all that's overcome with Tylenol. So I think we're close to a solution and there are, are therapeutics coming online as well. So I think that's gonna sort of shift the balance of, of the balance of the medical situation. And uh, I, I do think we'll be back at, to work at some level by, by early January, but, but certainly a nice level by mid-March. Mid and I can gauge it off my company. Uh, we're now doing, it's all that virtual stuff and it's all that you know, single show stuff and odd stuff. But, but we're, we're picking up. I mean, we're, it's, it's, you know, when you got to gross millions a month, it's, it's insignificant, but it's good to know that, you know, this week across all of our U.S. offices, we had probably 15 shows. So, uh, you know, it, it's starting to come back. I, I would like to, I, 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 I was speaking to Jason Alt earlier, and I think he has a question for you. Jason, you were saying that you, you might have something that you want to ask Michael. So I'd like you to take that opportunity right now. Unmute your mic and ask Michael the question. Actually, uh, uh, he kind of answered what my big question was, which was how, you know, how the vaccine was progressing, because I know he has those ties. But, you know, Michael's done so much for everybody and helped me kind of navigate some stuff to get in touch with our senator in our state in California. Um, which I met with today and basically reiterated what Michael said, that they're trying to get something done by Friday, but they were doubtful that that was actually going to happen, but it's because it's really out of the senator's control. It's down to really four or five people negotiating this, you know, um, but so he answered my question about the vaccine. Um, I do a lot, but I, and I appreciate it. So really cool. So now, Michael, we know, we, we know your belief on the vaccine. But a lot of these guys in this room are hanging on right now with, with their fingertips. What is your what is going through in your opinion? What is going through these senators' mind that how could they not see what's going on? What is your gut level? Is there anybody there that's so oblivious? Is there is there another factor involved why they want to see so many people go out of business? I think it's a bigger question than than our legislative leaders who I have a lot of respect for. And one of my early letters three months ago, there's two kinds of people. There's people, the newscasters and the talking heads on television, and then the legislative leaders and, and others, people that bottom line are gonna get a paycheck no matter what. So their sense of urgency is very different than those of us who don't get a paycheck no matter what. And it's funny how the urgency shifts when, when you're checked uh, is in jeopardy. So I think for for a, a television person or a talking head or or a person that works for an entity that's going to keep paying them no matter what, I think the lack of urgency on the, the behalf of those people is created by the fact that they get paid either way. Uh, I think if indeed the legislators knew that their paycheck was going to disappear, they would probably behave a little differently. Uh, do I think that they don't care? No, not at all. Uh, they're playing an end game and a long game, and and uh, they'll. It, 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 you hate to say it, but they'll trade they'll trade our pain, small businesses' pain, for uh, other things. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Well, um, does anyone else have any other questions for Michael? Let's. Uh, otherwise, so uh, we are going to. Sean does. I do. I didn't mean to just unmute, but I wanted to step in while this is 
uh, urgent, and you're talking about urgency. Um, look, I don't have the Rolodex that, that most of you, potentially all of you have, but I do know that politicians and a lot of the people that are making these sort of decisions get just as starstruck as anybody else. And I think if there needs to be some urgency, I'd be very interested to see, no offense to, I'm just going to randomly say, if John Lackner, I do random, don't take it personally, if John Lackner shows up on the Hill and is lobbying and Bono shows up on the Hill and he's like, you, you guys already mentioned you two and the Eagles, uh, you know, somebody call Joe Walsh and tell him what's going on. Um, I can't do that. I lost Joe's number, but uh, you know what I mean? There, there's, it, there's an interesting thing that happens when the advocate for, for something like this isn't necessarily the one to benefit. I know, you know, Bono's the first one that just keeps coming to mind. Uh, I think we're probably all old enough to remember uh, Geldof with Live Aid. You know, the, the, uh, he, he couldn't get out of his own way. And then all of a sudden, a handful of musicians said, hey, you need to shut the fuck up for a little bit. You're driving people crazy. Let us come in and sign some autographs and sing some songs. And we're going to show these people that Live Aid could be a thing. And the early adopters for that really pushed him out of the way for a couple of weeks for somebody to go, you know, even the people that signed on to do it. Geldof was a hammer all day long. And then Sting, I heard, was the big Sting showed up and called 15 of his friends and 15 of them said yes. Um, I'd be interested to see if there's more urgency with the social capital that is just on this one Zoom call to get a handful of people that are, that are, you know, way more celebrity type, you know, people. I don't know why they just get more attention than we do. Just a harsh reality. Sean, that, that, that was done. Uh, uh, Neva and Nito both did stunning letters. Uh, one of them, I think it was the Neva letter, had, I don't know, 300 huge stars signed the darn thing. Hmm. And, and, and different stars have come forth and gone forward. Uh, you know, I, I have I have begged and pleaded to get uh, uh, three huge artists that I have great relationships with. Time on the hill. The problem is twofold. You're right; they would go for it. The problem is twofold, uh, and both COVID-related. The senators and congressmen aren't meeting to to go woo them, to go wow them. You know, they're not in session, really. And even when they're in session, they're not really in session. Oh, no, I get it. I mean, if all of a sudden Schumer got a phone call from Springsteen. No, that's happened. There's been a whole bunch of behind the scenes. I, mean, like, I would think that that would be a thing. If it's yeah, happened, yeah. then uh, I'm, I'm happy to A whole hear bunch that. of big stars have done that to legislators, and I'm not going to violate any uh, any confidence. I'm sure there's some that I don't know about. But, but you know, I know of 20 different stars that have made calls. And the reason they don't want their name out is, because they say, listen, Mike, if you if you let it out that I made this call, I'll never quit getting calls to do right. this kind of thing. No, I get it. So th there have been direct touches, especially uh, especially around the key people and the essential people. And you're right, Sean, they took those calls. Cool. Oh, which brings up one last question, and that is, uh, for me at least, why, why aren't there, uh, I, maybe they weren't involved, maybe I was the only one invited. Uh, on the performance side, um, I don't know any other musicians, sorry, working musicians, we're not talking about Springsteen level, working working cats, um, 
which is, you know, hundreds of thousands of hundreds of thousands of people when you go from region to region to city to state to country is a lot of people. Um, I, I don't know anybody that's aware of any of this. Oh. Literally, that's aware of any of it. A lot of them are in the Neva. I've done Neva Zooms, Nita Zooms, several other Zooms that have a lot of musicians in them. They're more musician oriented than this. Okay. So, so they're there. And and Sean, you'll appreciate this. Uh, I know a lot of musicians after 52 years of doing this, and and I have frequent. I had a conversation with a young lady, a, a sort of a new artist today, and and as you know, anybody sort of mid mid level and below, even though you're a musician. And even though you're a star, your name is known. You've had three number ones. You're starving too, because you've you've spent all your all your capital getting to to have three number ones. Oh yeah. So, so I've had a lot of those conversations with artists that you would know that that get on the phone and go, you know, Mike, I'm broke too, and I know it appears I'm a big name, but I've spent it all. So they're here with us. Cool. We've all pivoted to online stuff. I, I'm I'm sitting here because we we I do corporate events uh, like a virtual happy hours and such it's 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 turned into an interesting you know thing <laughs> it's it's not the same i brought up joe walsh you know joe was asked why he's still touring at a thousand years of age and everything and he should be fishing the interviewer said i heard you love to fish and joe walsh said um fish don't clap <laughs> if you ever heard that quote from him but you know we 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 crave <laughs> the interaction Yes. And so it's not the same. This is just a, a pacifier in hopes that all of this comes about. So as potentially one of the few musicians that are on this particular call, I want to thank everybody that's on here. I just want to take a second to say that we appreciate that, uh, one, the situation we're all in, but also that there's, you know, solutions being looked at by, by more people than just throwing their hands up. A lot of the musicians I know in Vegas are curled up in a ball right now just crying. Yeah, it is a very tough, really, it's a really tough time for everybody. And that's, Sean, that's why we're doing this. Ken Porter's got his hands up. So, uh, you know, and then I'd like to ask David Sherman to chip in a little bit here. Get Ken. Hey, Mike, on the, um, on the testing money they are uh, talking about approving, is that only testing or is that some of the, the bounties they're paying for medical issues too? There's 16... The Democrats asked for no testing money and the Republicans wanted 16 billion. So obviously the Democrats said, well, sure, we can do that. So there's 16 billion just dedicated to improved and increased testing. Uh, people wonder why it takes so long. The, the five minute machine, uh, you know, there's, there's not very many of those out there. Uh, so the 16 billion is gonna be focused largely on getting more of those five minute machines so that everybody's got the, the, quick, the quick test. But yeah, that's just testing. There's also money appropriated for, for healthcare hospitals in general beyond that. And have they updated, come up with any better options on treatments other than, you know, they had to battle about chloroquine and all the other stuff. Have they come up with a better, quicker treatment system? It turns out if you're not, if you're not horribly sick, steroids, just everyday steroids, uh, uh, work wonders. And again, the mortality rate, unless you're old with comorbidity issues is extraordinarily low because I think I explained before what happens is you get it and your, your immune system goes into hyper overdrive and your, your lung tissue swells and then you can't breathe. And there comes a moment with the swollen lung tissue where infection sets in behind the lung tissue 
and there comes a moment, just, just like uh, with uh, uh, sepsis, once you cross a particular line, you're dead. And what was happening with these older people was because they were in ill health, the tissue would swell, they would have difficulty in breathing, infection would set up, they would not know it. And then by the time it got to be so problematic that they went to the hospital, it was too late. They had crossed that moment where the lungs can't recover. And uh, so, so now, that, now that they understand how it works, they're given these different treatments, which sort of defeat or, or knock down your immune system. And then your lungs don't swell and, and you may get it, but you're not going to die from it. I also heard that the sooner they can get them on oxygen, it's helpful too. That's better. But you know, like you've heard of remdesivir, that's one of the treatments. Steroids is one of the treatments. Uh, hydrochloroquine, in my opinion, is one of the treatments. Uh, it just became a political football. So you're, you know, you, if you mention it, you, you sometimes can be considered bad, but there are a number of other treatments out there. Okay. Ken's waving. Okay. Kenny, um, and then we're going to go, David, you have a question, right? Okay. So Ken, let's do you and then. Two, two, two quick questions for you, Michael. Number one, um, how do we get on your email list so that we get your information from you? And number two, uh, what's the word on the executive order that uh, President uh, did last week? Is that just a joke or just a political move or is it really have any impact on anything? Great question. Again, I apologize. This is my fourth call today and I forget what I've talked about. Uh, just email me and I'll glue you in. It's first initial, last name, M. Strickland, S-T-R-I-C-K-L-A-N-D, at bandit, B-A-N-D-I-T-L-I-T-E-S.com. If you'll email me, I'll Great. glue you in when you hang up. But yeah, the four executive orders, two of them were actually orders and two of them were suggestions. The extension of the, uh, of the uh, enhanced unemployment at $400 is actually an order. Uh, all he did was extend it. Uh, there's conversation because it's only 400. And if you've heard 300 comes from the feds and 100 from the states, well, they're kind of retreating on that because the states are pushing back so much. So don't be surprised. If, if there's a full retreat on that by the middle of next week and all 400 will come from the feds. The argument was that the feds had already given 150 billion to the states. So each state could take the appropriate amount from that 150 billion and use it. But the states weren't having any of that argument. So the, the second piece is, and, and I believe this to be true after a lot of, lot of conversation, uh, Trump had offered $600 10 days ago at, if they could get the whole thing done. Well, they didn't get the whole thing done, so he retreated to 400. Uh, they tell me that if they get a bill done, uh, the Republicans are willing to, to up that to 600. Now, don't, you know, don't, don't think that that's 100%, but in, in all of my conversation, most of the Republican folks have said that, yeah, okay, well, we're okay to scooch that up to 600. But, but it is safe, and that was an executive order. Uh, the executive order about uh, uh, rent, uh, not paying your rent, rent abatement was more of a suggestion. Uh, there is $58 billion uh, that's been appropriated but not spent, and the government's uh, willing to take that $58 billion and use it to, I guess, help landlords when, when the people don't pay their rent. But that's a real mushy theory, and I think, it, I think it's tough at best. And uh, the uh, suspension of student loans with no interest, uh, that, that, is, uh, that is actually uh, something that he can do. He just extended 
extended it, but the catch is that the, you still owe the money next year. Now he has said that he's gonna work with Congress to try to get that money forgiven. But at the end of the day, I don't think that's a negative to people's student loans, cause one thing's for sure, there'll be no interest accrued, which is a win. And even if you do owe it next year, at least you didn't have to pay it between now and December. The really sticky one is the payroll, uh, proposed payroll tax cut, which is the what 7.65% that the employee wouldn't pay. Again, technically you, the employee would owe that money next January and, and they don't define if you'd owe it in one lump, they don't define anything. The treasury would have to write those regulations. So when do I owe that? Well, again, the president has indicated his, he's gonna work with Congress to get that forgiven. Uh, the only three people I know of that are for it besides the president are uh, Art Laffler and, uh, 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 oh, what's his name, uh, shoot. I'm sorry, I'm brain dead, but there's one other economist that, that besides Laffler that's, that's behind it. And uh, so I don't think that politically, there's a big chance that that money would be forgiven. So if you go along with 7.65% of your check and you spend it, and then you find out next year, even if you owe it in one fell swoop or over a period of time, it's kind of a bummer. So I'm not sure that that's actually gonna work out. Mm -hmm. I think that's all four of them. Well, thank you. David? Yes, Jan. Uh, I'm going to uh, <clears throat> send something to everybody uh, here in the, in the Zoom group chat room. This is a link uh, to yesterday's red alert. I'm sure some of you saw it. If not, you'll probably pick it up when you're uh, hunting and, and pecking uh, on the internet for things about live events and COVID. But uh, the UK Red Alert was an extremely well-coordinated public awareness activity. Uh, I, I'm sure that Michael, you've, you've seen it and I'm sure you know people that were directly involved. Uh, he I sent it out in today's email. Good, good, good. Yeah, I'm glad that everybody's uh, getting some awareness on this. The reason I highlight this is, is to say that, um, to, to underscore what I tried to get across two weeks ago when I addressed this group, uh, all of us know the live events uh, production industry as a community. Uh, those inside it see it as it's friends and family. It's not a, a business. It's not just a line on somebody's Excel spreadsheet uh, that has this percentage of the economy. Uh, it's, it's what it's what we've done. It's, it's how we've uh, built our lives. It's, it's where we've gained our experience. It's where we've made enduring social connections. So uh, somehow our, our peers in the UK uh, were able to stitch together uh, a, a very interesting uh, collaborative effort where uh, more than a dozen major venues, uh, everything from Royal Albert Hall to the O2 Arena allowed uh, lighting uh, effects. And of course, it's red. It's red alert. The goal of this was to have an integrated event, an activity in the center of the heart of London that would uh, be seen by the public at large, that would raise the plight of the event industry and the dire straits that many production professionals are in. The companies, the lighting companies, the staging companies, the, the video crews, the, the sound teams that are all out of work right now. Uh, it was a, a very uh, effective consciousness raising effort, I think. And I was just gonna ask you, uh, 
Michael, I, I know where you're focusing your efforts personally, but are you aware of anything similar in any one of our major metropolitan areas here in the US that is going to get on the evening news and, and get those cell phones lit up again for those legislators uh, where it sinks through, where people in positions of influence actually understand who this community is and how, how our people are suffering. I see you nodding. What do you know? That's a great point. And also I'll add, I, I'm looped into to, to the Europe as well. I, I'm, I'm a consultant in Europe. The laws are different, but the theories are the same. So I talk daily with the folks over there the uh, the red alert was actually in 20 cities in the uk i mean it wasn't just in london there were 20 different cities so there's a large number of people involved and steve warren from avalites was very very involved in put, putting that together and I, and I just got off a call with him a little bit earlier but uh, yes the the thing about you got to remember that, that the uk is smaller than california yes so uh, we, we've got events and and uh, right now it, it just ended, I guess, but, the, but there was a drive-by thing in LA put together by Live Event Coalition. There's one tomorrow in Denver and one the next day in San Diego, I believe. Uh, there, Jim Digby went up to New, York, New Jersey and held a big event that really centered around the union. Uh, there have been a number of those kind of things. A number of different organizations have, have gone out and put together crews and flight cases in front of venues. And they've all gotten news, but unlike the UK, it, it, it tends to be regional news as opposed to national news. So yes, it is going on. Yes, it is having an effect. I'm gonna be curious to see what the effect is from today's situation in LA to see if the, if the, if the, if the national news will pick it up. Uh, we, tried, uh, uh, we tried to uh, put together a, uh, a 20 places at the same time thing, uh, Terry Lowe, and uh, Nook Schoenfeld and a bunch of people and we got them all to jump on board and what we we're going to do uh, to your point Dave was was have all these people at the same day at the same time uh, appear in front of venues with empty flight cases and a microphone same thing just during the daylight excellent we were, excellent we were going down that road and a couple of people came down with COVID and the decision was made not to put that many lives at risk if you will by doing that because the, the, the decision was made by the group. You know what, what if we go do these 20 cities and what if we cause uh, X number of people to catch COVID and then they cause X number more to catch COVID and the whole thing was just scrapped. Mm. So, so there've been individual ones, but yeah, the, that's the one focused one that I was involved in and aware of and holistically, it involved a lot of people in this business, maybe some of you on this call, uh, but we scrapped it because of that fear and of course, now now we're literally at the finish line. I mean, you know, we've we've either got till Friday or or maybe till next Friday, and and I think that the time frame's against us. Good. Well, thanks for the uh, the background on that, Michael. And we, we did get some mainstream media. I've I've been in four AP press releases, quoting me and talking about what we're doing. There, there have been a number. NBC did a thing about live events coalition. So you know, there have been some things. Nothing really that went across every platform except the Howard Schultz letter, and I assume you're aware of that. It's you know the, the Howard Schultz from Starbucks, and I was one of the hundred original signers. I was honored when they reached out to me to sign that. But that thing went worldwide. If you go Google Howard Schultz letter, I mean, it was in Europe and France and Australia, and because it was Disney, it was you know it was. Apple, it was Amazon, it was, you know, it was all the big guys. Uh, and so that was our biggest press moment ever. 
and uh, so so that was that was a huge huge moment, and, and indeed had a lot of positive out, uh, outcomes for us. Well, I really thank you for coming, and I want to ask you just one last question, and before and then you can wind it up with a closing closing statement, but. I've heard that, you know, and you've sent us the list and anybody who needs the list of their personal congressmen, senators, email addresses, we have that and I will more than happy send it to you. You know how to reach me. But my question is, does it make a difference for me, seeing I live in Nevada, to send, let's just say, uh, a, an email to Mitch McConnell or send a letter to Marsha Blackburn? Does it make a difference or do I have to focus in or do we have to focus in on our individual congressmen and senators? Uh, you, you, the, you have the most weight communicating with your congressman or senator in your state because their computer somehow can tell where it came from. Uh, that's that's above my pay grade. But if, if in my case, if it didn't come from Tennessee, they have a default thing that treats you differently. So you have a lot more weight when you're from there. And I've been urging people all along, you know, we've sent the form letters out on three different calls to action, but I've urged people, do a personal one. Tell them who you are, what you are, why you are, and what your situation is, because that gets their attention. And as I said, there may be a call to action tomorrow night or Friday morning simply saying, come on, get this done, you know, with a whole lot less detail in it. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Ab, oh, is I, I did get a, several people have, have asked this question, not only here, but it's here in this session. Uh, what's what's the thing with the state's money? Very simply, and I'm not playing politics, I'm just giving you the, the, uh, the facts. $150 billion will make every state, now let's back up, every state's already gotten $150 billion. Another $150 billion will make every state whole for their COVID-related losses, you know, for the money that they, they went through and they figured it out and that's what they need. The, the, the one trillion gives gives many states money to wipe out thirty and forty year old debt. When you take it down to five hundred billion, five hundred billion gives all the states what they need to cover their COVID losses, and it allows New York, Illinois, California, and a couple of other states to hit reset and wipe out one hundred percent of thirty and forty year old debt. And therein lies the rub because there are those who, who don't think, whatever you think, there are those who don't, don't buy into, uh, you know, why should we wipe out five or six states total long-term debt? And, and part of that money, for instance, in Illinois would go make uh, the retirement funds for, for the state employees whole because the retirement funds in Illinois are billions of dollars uh, underwater. So, and you don't kind of hear those details, and I'm not trying to make it political, but that's why there's a rub because there, there, there are people that just do not want to get on board with uh, wiping out states' debts that existed before COVID hit. Uh, inversely, you do have legislators on both sides that don't want to spend any more money. You know, I mean, for anything, for any reason. And uh, so, you know, people have different thoughts, don't they? And that's, that's really what we're working with. And as I said last week, if this had gone to a vote, it would have passed uh, with, a very, with a very bipartisan mixture because 
there's a bunch of Republicans that will never vote to spend more money, and there's a bunch of Democrats that will never vote for anything less than three trillion, and then there's the group in the middle. And I think the group in the middle could have gotten it across the goal line had they come up with a bill. At this point, it looks like it's going to have to be unanimous consent. So my last question, I, I already thought I had, I thought I asked my last question, but if, if, if the heels or the restart bill becomes a law, how soon will people see money from that? That's another unsettled issue. If they use either vehicle and they, and they let you as an individual or a company be reliant on the original paperwork that you filed with the SBA, or your original PPP loan, they could have money out in 10 days. If they have to stand up an entire program on its own, uh, they will tell you that it will take a week to stand the program up and a week to get the money out. I do not believe that. I think it will take two weeks to stand the program up and two weeks to get the money out because you're setting up a new system. So I think if they set up a new system, you're looking at four weeks. But I've got to, you know, I pray and I've got to believe they'll, they'll use the existing PPP paperwork uh, to hand out more money. Now, that doesn't do anything for people that never got a PPP loan, uh, but, but those are fewer and far between than the, than the people that did get PPP loans. So I think for those people that never got one, to go in and execute that same paperwork would be relatively quickly because they've perfected that paperwork. Well, I thank you so much for coming in and sharing with us once again. And again, I will always tell you that you always have a place with me and our group, for sure, because you're, you, just, uh, you just make it all so clear. And there's hope for everything. So when, and whenever you send out any call to action, I funnel it out through either my Facebook page. I, I actually posted the letters. And we will do whatever we can as a group. And so again, thank you very much, Michael, for coming. I want to thank everybody. I want to thank all the people that started with me when we, there were just four people in the room. You know, Ken Newman, I want to thank. Uh, Brian Scott. I want to thank Chris Carlton. I, I want to thank everybody. Louis Adamo, Steve Schluter, Ken Porter, uh, all of you guys, David Sherman for coming in because all of a sudden now, in case you hadn't noticed last week, we had over 4,200 views. And that is more than amazing. Because like I'd say, you know, if I had five or six views on anything, I'd call family and say, hey, I got five or six views. Thanks a lot. And they'd say, we didn't put anything there. <laughs> you know, so it was always, always good. And I really appreciate that. So I'm going to post the links to this. I urge you all to share it with your friends if you found it interesting. And if you didn't find it interesting, well, share it with them anyway. What do I care? You know, uh, and the more people we get, the better guests we have. And I have, I have, I have one person for sure that's coming next week. John Brown of John Brown United has agreed to come in and talk about what he's going on. And I've talked to some heads of some sound companies, big sound companies. Uh, I'm sure Ken Porter will be back. I'm putting him on the spot right now. Uh, Greg's, Greg's partner over there, Tony Villarreal, is going to come from Thunder Audio. I, I was expecting him in the room today, but we are working on putting together a mastermind panel that will be there for everybody so that we could ask questions and make ourselves more secure in where we are as individuals so that we could survive these tough times. And once again, I'm going to leave you with this. Thank you very much. Remember, you make it happen out there. So go out and make it happen and uh, have a great
week. Stay safe, stay healthy. And uh, I love every one of you. And thank you for doing what you're doing. All right. Jan, Jan I, I would like to say thank you as well to everybody for allowing me to talk and uh, just be positive. You know, just, just keep your head up and be positive. We're going to get some funding. I'm almost certain of that and uh, move forward. And the best thing you can have is a positive attitude. Uh, because if you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. And uh, we're a tough industry. We're a tough bunch of people. And, and, and what we're doing about the financing, is it about saving firms? Sure it is, but it's about saving people. You know, there are no firms without people. So this is as much about providing money for individuals, because if, if the restart uh, passes, you, you know, people can go in and get that. So keep your head up. We will get some money. I'm 99.9% I'm certain. It's the timing we don't know about, but just keep your head up and be positive and, and we will emerge stronger on the other side.